0: Um, uh, from me to you and from my family to yours, uh, I wish you a happy new year and uh, I hope that it is off to a, a good start for you. Um, one of the things that a new year does for us is it gives us an opportunity to evaluate and to reflect. And I think that's a healthy thing for us when we do that. When we engage in it, we dig up all kinds of things, right? I was uh, going through my phone I'm not a real good journaler, but I do take a lot of random pictures. And so I was just going through my phone, looking at my pictures from the last year. And um, half of them were memes from the quarantine that were funny then, but not so much. So I deleted all those, but just good <laughs> things, memories and things that brought about I brought were brought to my mind as I went through them and I walked through those moments um, and for you you would have similar things but some good family memories um, some special things that were done and achieved and experienced uh, there was sadness and loss as a part of the year there was victory there was times of shame and grace. There was times of deep hurt and there was also joyful progress. Um, I found pictures of people who brought grace and encouragement into my life and a lot of other things. And so it is helpful to pull out um, those kinds of things uh, because those times of reflection and evaluation, especially as you stand before God with them and say, God, here's what the year has been. uh, What we find is that God teaches through all of those things. And oftentimes it's the things that we thought that would be the best things that he We're okay, but the things that were the hardest are the things that he oftentimes teaches us the most in. Um, So he teaches us, he helps us, he holds us, he comforts us, but he also he confronts us sometimes with all that um, we are. And so um, as we do that, as we move into a new year, um, I hope that um, you will take some time, if you have not, just to kind of reflect and and look with an eye to the future, what God might do and what the year might bring. Um, I don't know if you're an Iowa State fan I don't know if anybody is, but there's a few of you in the world. Uh, That's not an insult. Those are good people. Um, But yesterday, Iowa State, what I'm trying to say, instead of insulting Iowa State fans, I'm trying to say yesterday, Iowa State played in a football game, and their coach, after they won the Fiesta Bowl, they beat Oregon. um, They did the traditional uh, giving of the trophy thing, and they asked the coach to make his speech. And and in the course of doing that, he he made a speech that I thought was was worthy. There's this little paragraph that he said that... I grabbed a hold of because it fit really well with what we're trying to say here today so I want to show it to you I want to steal a phrase from what he says and so uh, if you'll take a listen to it please That's the phrase that uh, he finished with, that those who choose to be different and demand to become the very best version of themselves. And as we think about what we're going to talk about here today, um, as we think of our Core 52 study that we've been in uh, for eight, nine months now, we're going to finish these last two months with the last eight, nine uh, chapters of that. And there is a mindset, as you listen to that, that's a mindset of a person who's going to grow. That is a person who says, I will not settle for mediocrity in my life. I'm going to choose to be different and to man to become the very best version of myself. There's a little bit of Paul in Philippians 3 there, I think, that says, you know what? It's not me. I'm going to press forward, right? No matter what the past has been, I'm not going to look back. I'm going to look forward. I'm going to press forward to what Christ wants me to be and to shape my life into. And so I think as Christians, that is a healthy attitude for us is to demand to become the very best version of ourselves under the leadership and the rulership of God in our life. And so it's that determination, though, I think, that makes the difference that I highlight there. And so these first five weeks of January, we're going to, uh, uh, and one in February, uh, we're going to look at the theme, Your Best You. Um, You probably, as you look back over your life, have moments that you think I'm proud of. Those are moments when I was at my best in that space. And you probably have the opposite to be true, right? That's when I was not at my best. And we all know those times and places. And so we're going to look at themes these first five weeks, like your best you is changing and your best you is free and your best you is wise and your best you is rested and your best you is happy. And so um, we're going to walk through several of those things, just seeing how the, how the Bible teaches us and helps us and, and leads us to, uh, to be our best for God so that ultimately is our goal that God gets the glory through our life because we have become the best we could be for him. And so today we're gonna begin our year by looking at the need and the process for us to be our best by always being engaged in the process of Jesus-led change in our life. Now change can be a funny thing. Um, Most of us dislike change, if we're honest. We don't like when things change, when life changes. Um, We don't like it. But we all would admit that change needs to happen, right? All of us have things in our life that have changed that we're better for it, and that, but yet change can be a funny thing and maybe even a frustrating thing because it's not uncommon for um, us to be a little frustrated, maybe cynical, even when we talk about change because we've all maybe tried it in our own life. We've hoped for it, prayed for it, encouraged, nagged for it in the lives of others and maybe it hasn't happened in us or in others and, and we can begin to be a little disappointed with that and, and that disappointment can turn sour or bitter if, if that repeats itself over and over again. But God, through the pages of the Bible, continues to challenge us with the idea that change is part of the Christian's walk. Being a disciple of Jesus involves an uh, ever-growing, ever-moving life of change as we walk with Jesus. We should be changing in the direction God is calling us. And so if we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus, and yet we do not see the need for change even as I hold my life up to the scriptures, or if I don't uh, repent of my lack of change in key areas of my life, or if I call myself a disciple of Jesus and do not come prayerfully and humbly to God for help to change, or or submit myself to Christ for that needed change in my life, or I, I don't work with or invite others into my life to help me change, that is an indicator that something is spiritually off, that I am spiritually sick and I need to come back to God and get right with him because change is a constant part of the walk of a disciple of Jesus. Our attitudes, our ambitions, the way we use resources and money, uh, our relationships, the way we speak, the way we think, the way we look at people, all of those things must constantly be changing throughout the course of our life as we walk with Christ. And so in our Core 52 book this week, we looked at the theme uh, that dealt with Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It simply says this, and in that chapter, um, Mark Moore kind of unpacked a couple of these key words from Romans twelve two when he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Two key words in that, that all involve the idea that this walk with Jesus is all about changing as we move into more of who he is. He talked about the word conformed, uh, that word conformed is a big, long, fancy Greek word. You don't need to know that necessarily, but just know that our English word uh, schematic or template comes from that Greek word. And it, it just implies the idea that there are cultural schematics. There are cultural templates that, that gravity will just pull us to if we're not intentional to not be conformed to them. Things like materialism, entertainment, individualism, sensuality, are all kinds of things that if we're not intentional, they, we, we will just get drawn into those things. Those are values of our culture. And every culture has different values and different times and places, but those are ones that oftentimes affect us a lot. And so unless we are deliberate to counterbalance their effect, we're going to be uh, pulled into those, those molds. We'll be conformed to them. And so he highlights things like scripture, and knowing God's word and using God's word, music and service and fellowship are all things that, that help us to be able to, to not be conformed. But the second word he uses is transformed. That Greek word is the word that we would go on to get our word metamorphosis from. It's pictures, this transformation life of a caterpillar who goes along and eventually he becomes a butterfly. When we used to live in Illinois, there was lots of milkweed along the highways, and uh, as my kids were young and we would take walks, we would oftentimes find those little, um, what's the fancy word for that? Um, chrysalises, that's right, we're I, I, good. All right, chrysalises that would form on those little milkweeds, and we would pick those up and pick up the plant and stick it in a jar, and we would watch that transformation take place. And uh, eventually, it was a happy day when the butterfly would, be, uh, would patch, and we release that, and uh, it, was, it was good. Um, And so that process, though, is is the word that Paul uses here. The idea of don't be conformed, but be transformed. And so it's this process of constant change into what God wants us to be. And so what does that process look like? What does that involve? What is that that process? It's easy to watch a butterfly do that, but what does that look like for us? Well, I think Jesus tells us a parable in Luke chapter 13, in which uh, it's just three or four verses It's not one of Jesus' most famous parables, but it is a parable nonetheless that speaks about change. It speaks about this whole idea of how God works in us and what he wants to be doing in us most importantly. So Luke chapter 13, verse six and following says this, then he told a parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. And so cut it down. Why should it continue to use up the soil? But sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I will dig around it, fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Daniel Bennett summarizes this passage with three should statements that we're gonna kind of organize. Organize our thoughts around here this morning. And the first one is this as you reflect on that passage, one of the shoulds in that passage is that you should be to producing fruits, That you should be producing fruit. And the implication of this passage is that this is bigger than just a farmer and a tree, this is God and his people. It's very much a picture of, uh, of God and, and at this time when Jesus is speaking, his whole nation of Israel, that all that God has wanted and all that God was doing. Now, a fig tree in a a vineyard would have been a very common picture in Jesus' day. You could have walked through many uh, roads across the countryside and seen this scenario. A fig tree uh, being planted, uh, the fruit was figs, right? So I don't know if they liked Fig Newtons or what they made with their figs, but they liked figs. And so it was a popular thing. It It grew well and they ate lots of them and used them for various things. And so when the farmer comes to his tree, After three years of hoping to find fruits, but finding none, he is a little frustrated. The implication is, is he has done everything he possibly could do to produce that fruit and to allow that tree tree to do what it needs to do. Um, And that's the basis of his frustration. And so there's an implication there for us. Paul later in Romans chapter 9 would describe um, all the blessings and the opportunities that Israelite nation, the God's people leading up to Jesus, had been given. And, but the flip side of that is there's a great frustration because they had been so blessed. They've been given all these opportunities and been set in this perfect place. But there was not fruit that grew out of that when Jesus came. Because when Jesus came, they rejected him and pushed him away and crucified him instead of embracing him and submitting to him. In Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, Paul talks about some of those blessings It says theirs, speaking of the nation of Israel leading up to Jesus' time, to theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever praised. Amen. They had all these opportunities and privileges, but they were not bearing fruit in line with what had been vested in them. And certainly, as I reflected on that for myself, and probably if you're honest with yourself today, many of us would have to admit that we are guilty of the same sin. We have been greatly invested in by our Heavenly Father and through Christ and through His spirits. We have been given so many things, and and if you're like me, and maybe you're not, but I I grew up in the church, I I knew it from, from earliest ages, there is no excuse for me not to know what God wants for me and what I should be. But oftentimes, if I'm honest, my spiritual knowledge and opportunities do not equal the, uh, the fruit that has flowed out of my life. There's a gap there. And that's what Paul is addressing there. He's saying that people who have been put in the vineyard and uh, uh, tended and cared for and protected and given every opportunity to succeed, who then bear no fruit, is frustrating to the Father and who could blame him. You see, fruit is what God wants to see out of our lives. Fruit is what God wants to see growing in your character and out of your mouth and out of the actions that you you do every day and out of the overflow of your life. That should be a fruit that reflects your father. And when it's not, that's an indication that there is a gap. Something needs to change. Something needs to grow within us. We looked at this a month or so ago from Luke chapter 3, but just again the reminder that what God wants most out of his people that he has invested his love and his care and his grace and his plans and his will and his word and his son into is he wants to see fruits overflowing from their life. And that fruit is not religious busyness. That fruit is character and that fruit is love and that fruit is all kinds of things that comes from within us. But Luke chapter 3 verse 7 We read these words and I'll read them to you again. John said to the crowds coming to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruits in keeping with repentance. And so what is the thing that produces fruit in our life? It is a repentant spirit that constantly acknowledges I'm not who I should be, but God, with your help, I can become more, and I'm sorry for who I am. It's that repentance, that brokenness before God. So produce fruit in in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. It's not a lack of population God's worried about. He can do that with rocks. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So they asked for examples, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't falsely accuse people. Be content with your pay. And so you see the fruit that, that was being looked for wasn't go to the temple and make sure you're there from beginning to end. Don't be late. It was none of that. It was all about daily life. It was character of how we treat people and how we think about people and how we treat the world around us based upon what God has done for us and in us. And so that fruit of repentance maybe looks like the fruit of the Spirit will look like in a minute. Maybe it looks like greater obedience to God as you read His Word and and these things that you've been resisting God and that you obey Him more in a year to come. Maybe it means that there is love for other people that grows um, that may be hard to cultivate. Maybe it's hunger for God and His Word and what's true and right. Maybe it's just growing in grace, or maybe it's engaging and ministering to others in places where they need that. And you're put in a specific place for a specific time to use gifts and abilities and be a voice for people who need that. See, the owner of the fig tree expects fruits, and the believer should be expecting that fruit as well. And so when we live lives excusing fruitlessness instead of expecting fruitlessness, we get ourselves in trouble. And so that leads to the second should. Um, The second should is that you should find a lack of fruit alarming. You should find a lack of fruit alarming. Or if you want to paraphrase Darth Vader from a long time ago, the lack of faith disturbing. You can use whichever word you want. Alarming or disturbing. I don't care. They're both uh, accurate. You should find a lack of fruit growing in your life alarming if you look at, at yourself and you don't see that growth and that change and that process at work. You see, the farmer, the, the, the vineyard owner, had waited for three years to see fruit. He took time, it took time for that tree to mature, but by the time it got ready to mature, he'd been waiting to see figs, but he says, I find no fruit, and so cut it down, and I'll do something else with the ground that's here. Apparently, I can do something else with this ground, because this tree isn't going to produce any fruit, and it is a legitimate conclusion Um, for God to sit in that situation and to look, if you go back to Jesus' day, to look at uh, 1,500 years worth of history. So many times God had poured his life into um, Israel's life and they had responded with idolatry instead of worship and faithfulness. And so Isaiah chapter five is a place where you get this picture kind of fleshed out where God uses the whole vineyard thing again to talk about his relationship with his people and his expected fruitfulness because he's investing so much into them. Isaiah chapter five, This says this, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. You see his tender care, his attention to detail. He makes a good place for it to be. He protects it by building a watchtower in it and then he cut out a wine press as well, expecting fruit to come. But then he looked for a crop of good grapes but it yielded only bad fruits. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. In other words, he's asking us to sit in his seat and say, what would you do if you were in this situation? What, could, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have already done for it? Just let that phrase kind of rattle around in your head for a minute. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've already done for it? And could God say the same to us today? Many of us have been blessed with so many opportunities, such knowledge, such a place to live and all those kind of things where the gospel is easy for us to find if if we go looking for it in many ways. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedges, its protection, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. And then in verse seven, He kind of brings it home. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. So again, he delighted, he loved, he cared for, he poured himself into his people. And he looked for what? Temple worship? Faithfulness and being in temple every Saturday? No. He looked for justice, but what he saw was bloodshed. They just treated each other terribly. He looked for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. And so he looked for this fruit that said, I have loved you so you love your, your, each other and you love the foreigner and you love those who, who need a voice and who need love and who need care and I saw nothing like that. And so he was frustrated with that and so he comes and he is frustrated and he is ready to do away with the whole thing. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 and following or 16 and following Kind of puts a New Testament spin on that idea. That there is fruit that God wants to see from our life. And again, it has a lot more to do with our character than it does with church attendance. As good as church attendance is. It's about our character. It's our Sunday afternoon to Sunday morning before you come here more than it is about what happens here. Listen to what Paul says, listen to what Paul says in Galatians five, verse 16. And so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So you get this tension between these two choices of how we can live. Which one are we being conformed and transformed to? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that, you are not, uh, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, here's our ax copying down the tree analogy, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, that fruit isn't what God wants. But there is fruit that he does want if we choose to walk with the spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, and here's the key that makes this transformational thing happen in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the spirits. You see, God, through his word, is trying to help us know God's will, and his spirit is leading each one of us to greater levels of change, of transformation and growth. And so he's asking us to look and say, well, where's the spirit leading me? Where is he taking me? As I read his word, I'm always going to find something that I should be doing that, I should be growing in that, I should make amends for that, all those things. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I uh, took a dancing class. We'd never done anything like that before, nor have we since. Uh, But it was a fun night. um, And I forget the dance we learned, but it was kind of like three steps kind of thing. I don't know, I, I could do it for you, but it would be that would, I'm, a, I'm a humble person. I don't want to embarrass you for not knowing how to do that. dance, And I can't remember it either. And so, but the night was rough because my wife figured it out faster than I did. And so I was just all over her feet and not doing the right thing. And finally, I just relaxed and I just said, where's her feet going? And I, and I just learned to follow her feet around the floor. And uh, um, Fred Astaire, I did not become, but it was a nice night and it was fun. And, um, but it was all about learning to keep in step with your partner and that is exactly what Paul is asking for us, is just for us to simply stop and to think, okay, God, in a world where these other things that are pulling my mind and my life and my, my emotions and my thoughts, all these things that are grav- pulling me with the gravity of their influence, where are you pulling me? Where would the Spirit be leading me to go through as I read his word and, and I listen to what it says? Um, we're being asked to follow and to lead, uh, to follow the lead of another who is trying to grow us and shape us. And that's where that change, that transformation uh, comes about in our life. So a fig tree is supposed to produce fruits. You as a follower of Jesus uh, are designed to produce fruit as well. Now you read those things and you may hear that and you think, man, I feel a little down and condemned because I can find a long list of places where I've not walked well, real well with the Spirit. I've not kept in step with Him very much, and my life has the scars and the shame to testify to that. Paul talks about, in this passage we just read, about the law and the Spirit. The law says that you're guilty. Because you have been more conformed to the desires of the flesh versus the spirit. And so we've all got the scars and and the shame and the struggles of that. And so the result of that is I'm guilty and I'm condemned and I'm worthy to be cut down and removed. Because I've just not been what I should have been. But that's not where the story, the parable of Jesus, stops. And it's that last thing that is healthy and good for us to stop and remember. Because if it stopped after, hey, there's no fruit, chop it down and get rid of it, that would be a legitimate story, but that's not where the story stops. The story stops with a third thing, a third should, that you should take advantage of God's mercy and patience towards you. You see, the good news is that there is an advocate who enters the story and says, let me work on that for a little while. Let me work on this unfruitful tree for a little while and let me do some digging. Let me do some fertilizing and let's give it some time and let's see if I can't make that grow. Now, some of you are really good at taking a dead plant and bringing it back to life. That is not my life I and mean, it's not my home. Um, we're good. At, we're the good people about making a tree fruitless. We're pretty good at that. But some of you can take something and just bring it back to life with tenderness and care and time and fertilizing and just the right amount of this and that. And, and you, you're, good at, you're good at that. And you are that person in this story. Because it's a person who comes along to the master and says, let's just leave it alone for a little more time. But I'm not gonna really leave it alone because I'm gonna come and I'm gonna dig around it. And I'm gonna go looking for things that might be causing a problem. And we're gonna rid anything that would be uh, destructive or damaging to the growth of this tree. And we're gonna fertilize it and, and we're gonna see what happens. See, one asks to give some extra care, some mercy and some patience. So while the, the law says Oh, he, they're just not gonna ever live up to it. They're always gonna be fruitless and, and fall away short. There's this beautiful thing called grace that enters into this picture. So when we talk about tra- change and transformation, um, it's never a fleshly thing where I do it myself. It is always something I do with God and Christ through the grace that they make available to us. And it is a daily step of digging and fertilizing in time. Um, several years ago I heard somebody do a lesson on this Uh, they just kind of talked about those digging and those fertilizing in that time and and I'll finish with that this morning but just what does that mean? What does that look like practically in your life and in my life? What does it mean to dig? I think the number one thing that we dig with is the truth of God's word that we dig into it but we also allow it to dig into us more importantly because lots of people dig into God's word but it's when you allow it to dig back into you and you pray that prayer in like Psalm 139. It says, God, search me, try me, know me. If there's worrisome ways, if there's offensive ways in me, God, show me because I want to know. I want to dig those things out of my heart and my soul. Those are the things I need to change. I need to dig with the truth of God's word as it uncovers things and exposes me to a higher standard. And so maybe it's God's word that we use to dig. But in that context, we probably also need other people who love God and who love his word and who love us that we can help each other because sometimes the best things to help us dig through some of the hard stuff in our life is, a, is another follower of Jesus who loves us and who helps us and isn't afraid to speak the truth to us and say, hey, there's this thing that you need to work on. And so we dig and we allow that truth to kind of work its way into our heart and our soul. But we also fertilize and we we fertilize a plant that needs to grow, don't we? Anytime we want something to grow, we fertilize it. And what do we fertilize with? We add grace to our life. As truth comes into us, um, there's always that struggle and that pain of trying to change and transform, but it is grace that makes it work. See, we are better by being fertilized and I need a grace that is beyond myself and outside of myself because I can't do this myself. The first step in every recovery group is always the admission that I cannot do this myself. I need to admit that I'm not, and I admit that I am something, I can't do it myself, and I need a higher power in this situation. I need Jesus, and I need the help of others who maybe are struggling too. And that's where that grace comes in, when we recognize that we are not, but that He is, and that He can help us with that. And so we dig with truth, and we fertilize with grace, and then there's an annoying little word it's last. It's that time thing, right? Some of you have made major changes in your life and maybe it was cold turkey and you made a change and one day you were this, the next day you were this. And those are awesome stories and those are great things. But for the vast majority of us, that's not the story. The story is, made a decision, I'm gonna try to change and then one day after another, it was little step, little step, little step and, and a few moments in a day became a significant amount of time by the end of the week. By the end of the month, you've got several weeks, of little moments, and, and it begins to add up. And you've got a month and a year, and all of a sudden you look and you see those changes have taken place in your life. And so he dug and he fertilized, but he gave it some time. And so we don't know how much time we have left on this earth. None of us do. But in the time that we have available, it's my prayer for us that we would make ourselves available to this process allowing God to dig into us and as we dig into him and his word, but we also always do so with the fertilizer of grace, knowing that as I come up against hard truths, as I come up against things that I feel like I'm failing in, that there's an advocate in our life, just as there is in this story, who comes and says, hey, let's dig some more and let's fertilize some more and let's see what happens here. There's one who desires to see fruit come out of our life and that advocate is still working for you and for me. And that's where our trust, that's where we lean, that's where we land in all of this. And so the plant stays in the dirt over a long time, and over time, that fruit begins to grow. And so my prayer for us this week, this year, is that as we think about this process of being your best you, that we would embrace this theme and this idea of I am ever-changing to become what I need to be and what God wants me to be. Um, so that he will be most glorified and honored in my life. And so let's commit to being comfortable with changing. Not all that stuff out there, that's fine if that changes, but the change needs to start right here. And I'm always mindful when I think of change, it's easy to find the flaws in other people, right? Jesus told a nice parable about that too. It's easy to look for the splinters in everybody else's eye and say they need to change, they need to change, they need to change. And I don't want any of that after the sermon. I want this all to be about how do I need to change? God will take care of others. How do I need to change in the year ahead? And if I allow God to do that in me, I trust God enough to take care of all the other stuff and of the people around me as well. So how do we individually need to change in God's sight this year? Let's allow, let's ask him to show us those things as we finish this morning. Our God and Father, thank you. Thank you that you have lovingly brought us to a place where we are able to know you, where we can hear about the story of Jesus and we know oftentimes what he's asking of us. Father, thank you that just like that gardener in Isaiah that he tended it and he cared for it and he protected it and and he gave it every opportunity to grow. For so many of us here today, that is our story. And yet our hearts are stuck with fear, our hearts are stuck with pride, our hearts are stuck behind shame, and we won't allow you to dig away those things so that we can really change and bear the fruit that that you long to see within us. So Father, today we come asking you to uh, convict and to change and to shape our hearts. Show us those places today, Father, where we are lacking show us those places where maybe there's a frustration in heaven because if he would only, if she would only, Father, show us those places and give us a soft and broken and tender heart. We might hear that and receive that and respond to that and be new because of it. And so, Father, in each one of us here today, we pray that you would do your work so that each vessel here today, cracked and broken as it may be, would become more and more like Christ, more and more honor honor and glory giving to you. And so, Father, show us in these moments what that may be and what that process may look like. We pray these things in Christ's name.